0: Hello, people of the way. Uh, We are going to continue our study through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 7. Romans 7. And keep in mind uh, that Brother Paul, he is writing a letter to the church in Rome, a very, very young church. And don't forget, if you recall our study in the book of Acts, there is this situation that has arisen where uh, some former Pharisees who, they became Christians, but they still held on to their former belief system. And they took it upon themselves to go and start spreading this teaching where in order to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And Paul took huge, major issue with that. And rightfully so. I think it's important to remember that in that scenario, in the situation that had arisen in the early church, is that you have these people who are believers, but then at the same time, how they did not let go of their prior belief system uh, in the law. And that's what you see what happens in the church today sometimes, where you can have somebody who's a Catholic and all of a sudden they become a Christian. Or maybe they're Buddhist and they become a Christian. Or maybe they're whatever and they become a Christian. And praise be to the Lord that they're Christians. That they are of the family of faith. But then at the same time, a major hardcore question is has to arise in somebody. where Do I let go of my prior belief system? You have to. You have to. I mean, you, you can't believe in the Word of God and then pray to Mary to rescue your dead relatives from purgatory. You can't do that. It's not biblical. It does not align with Scripture. And I, you know, I don't, I, I don't say that to come down on anybody. If you're listening to me and, and you're like, wow, you know, I'm a former Catholic. Well, you know, praise be to the Lord that you are former Catholic. I myself am a former Catholic. The Lord rescued me from Catholicism. And praise be to the Lord because you know what's so beautiful about the the, the church in Rome is that they're very, very young, a very, very young church. And Paul, he, he, he is going through some major, major doctrinal things to a young church. And if you're in a camp that says... You know, I'm a young believer, or I haven't been a Christian very long, so therefore I cannot study deep spiritual things. Don't think that way. Don't forget that the Word of God is spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit Himself shows us and teaches us. And, you know, God appoints teachers to explain the Word of God. So if you've been like a a Christian for like five months or three months, you know, and, and you know, don't think that you cannot study the book of Romans because you certainly can. You know, there, you know, me personally, I, I would recommend having a, a, an understanding of the gospels. You know, you can study, listen to our sermons to the book of Matthew. And then you see in the book of Acts what happens in the early church when the Holy Spirit uh, just blew up like wildfire in a good way. And then at the same time, now you have Paul. He's writing these letters to churches, to Christians, the epistles. Paul, Peter, uh, 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 James, Jude, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They write these letters to the churches, young churches. And keep in mind that, you know, in some cases, you know, this is like during the book of Acts when these letters were written, such as the book of Romans, I mean, the, the, it, Paul wrote it around in between Acts 20 and 21, right around that time frame is when this letter was written. And then you read Acts 20 and 21, you see like, whoa, Paul's going through some major things. So if you're in a camp where, you know, you're, you're a young believer, praise be to the Lord. But at the same time, you know, don't, don't think that deep spiritual truths are not for you because they certainly are. The Word of God is for all of us, Young and old. And that's what we do. Here we go. Steady diet of the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament. You know, new interpreting old, old interpreting new. Verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And what's so beautiful about that is that you get the full counsel of the Word of God. The full counsel of the Word of God. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful because you start to understand the nature and character of our Lord more and more and more and deeper and deeper. And you know what happens? You fall in love with Him even more and more and more and more. So let's kick off here in verse 1, Romans 7. He says, or do you not know? You remember the last verse where we left off last week? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says, or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. I love these questions that Paul poses to the church. You know, look at chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Question mark. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Question mark. All these questions. He says uh, uh, um, uh, um, in, uh, where was it? Here in in verse 15, chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Question mark. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Question mark. All these questions that he's asking in verse 3, chapter 6, verse 3, or do you not know? Just like he says here in verse 1 of chapter 7, do you not know? You know, it's so beautiful because understanding that the church in Rome, how young they are in the faith, and yet he poses these these questions to them. Do you not know? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? I wonder if there's anybody in the crowd, you know, a runner comes in. Hey, guys, we got a letter from Paul. You know, and somebody says, okay, read it. No, I, I can't read. Where's the learned guy? You know, give it to this guy. And he starts reading, okay, this is what Paul says. And he starts to read. And I wonder when they get to this part. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And I wonder if there was somebody in the audience, like, you know, nodding their head up and down. Like, yep, we should. Just so that we could exemplify God's grace. Just so that we can show people how gracious the Lord is. And then, you know, the reader continues. Certainly not exclamation point. It's like, whoa, what a confrontation it is just to the natural man, the natural woman, the carnal man, the carnal woman. What a confrontation it is. And that's what I love about the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. Because you can have these preconceived notions. Oh, yeah, I think God is okay with this. Be very careful when somebody says, Well, you know, I think God is okay with this. The first thing I do when I hear somebody say something like that, you know, I think God is okay with fill in the blank. Immediately, I just analyze the fruit in their lives. Do they have the fruit of the Spirit or do they have the fruit of the flesh? And if it's the fruit of the Spirit, you know, what is their relationship like with the Lord? You know, what is their marriage like? You know, if they're married, you know, a guy who's married to a girl, girl who's married to a guy, What is their relationship like? Is the wife saying this to me? What is her relationship like with the Lord and with her husband? Is a male saying, what is his relationship like with the Lord and with his wife? Is it a kid that's saying it? What is his relationship? What is her relationship with the Lord? And are they in submission to Jesus Christ and also in submission to mama and papa? And do they, you know, render obedience to mom and dad? Immediately. I mean, if there's like, you know, somebody who's like an alcoholic, you know, and I think God was like, okay, look, you know, I I get what you're saying, but I'm not going to accept that. You know, and, and it's so beautiful when you have people who have a close relationship with the Lord, and it's genuine. And they say, you know, they correct you. Hey, brother, this isn't so loving. Hey, sister, this is so loving. Hey, remember how you were bragging about cheating on your taxes? You know, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. It doesn't honor the Lord. And that's what's so beautiful about koinonia, the fellowship. Fellowship with one another. Fellowship with the Lord. It's because we can help one another. The Lord sharpens us, but don't forget that we can sharpen each other. Iron sharpening iron. Also, don't forget, have you ever seen the process of iron sharpening iron? It's brutal. I mean, you're like banging away. It's brutal. sparks are flying, iron sharpening iron. I think people like the idea, the concept, you know, the thought of iron sharpening iron, and even when they're the ones that are doing the sharpening because like yeah, it's me i get to I get to do the hitting and stuff, but then they don't like to be on the receiving end of you know being struck by iron, and yes there's it's it's violent, you know when when you see it, you know. Piece of iron. When you look at the uh, 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 when they make swords, when they make all kinds of different ironworks. It's, it's violent because it requires the striking. And I'm not saying you know you use the word of God to beat somebody over the head. Of course, we we do these things lovingly, but how beautiful it is that we have one another to keep each other on the right track in the fellowship. A lot of pe- times people think of church as like a social club. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go here listen to a sermon for, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. But I go there for the music. I like the rock concert, you know. And then the worship leader stands up. He's got his highlights in his hair. You know, he's, this is a rock star voice, you know. And it's, it's like, well, you know, I, I just come here for the music. I like the music. It's like a concert. Feeding the flesh. If you're a worship leader, don't do that. Don't do that at all, because it's, it's you're presenting God's people. You're you're through music. You're bringing God's people to His throne, preparing hearts to receive the Word of God. If you're a worship leader, that's what you're doing. You're like taking hearts, minds, and you're bringing them to the throne of God. And then the pastor comes out and teaches from the Word of God, His Holy Word. And because of, in the time of worship, the hearts have been softened. The hearts have been softened. Now they're ready to hear the word of God. I mean, have you ever seen like a, 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 a prideful guy or a prideful female? And, and, you know, he or she can't sing and they just refuse to sing. I don't want to sing. Maybe they come to church and they just, you know, sit there stoically. You know, a guy's there just sitting there, stern face. The lady's sitting there, stern face, very stoic. And then like two weeks later, a month later, you see them like kind of nod their head to the music, to the worship. And then maybe another month passes, you see them humming along, you can hear them humming. And then another month passes, a couple weeks more, all of a sudden they start singing along. Because what's happening in that time, it's like their hearts are being softened. Hard hearts are becoming soft again. Ready to hear the, in worship, hearts that are being softened, ready to hear the word of God, ready to receive the word of God. And then if you have a pastor that comes out and starts telling jokes, you know, reads the Bible for five minutes and says, okay, you know, we're going to start our, uh, you know, whatever, you know, now we're going to have our social club. No way. Where's the equipping for the work of the ministry? So you have a godly worship leader and then, you know, a godly pastor. And then all of a sudden, the Word of God goes forth. And what do you have? You have a congregation that are straight up learning how to be warriors. Learning how to be fighters. Because, boom, the second you walk out that door, it's on. It is on like Donkey Kong. It's straight up a war zone. I mean, if you've ever been on a battlefield or like in a war zone, you have certain areas like the... uh, 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 not necessarily garrison but just a, a a place that's heavily guarded and when you're in a compound it's relatively safe it's heavily guarded you know you can kind of wipe your face you know and you know eat something eat a warm meal get a cup of coffee but as soon as you go out those doors as soon as you go out that gate boom it's on like donkey kong because it's a war zone and that's what's so beautiful about the church. It's the exact same concept. And Paul is teaching a very, very young church these deep spiritual things, these deep spiritual truths. He says in verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren? For I speak to those who know the law. So you could say, okay, this is for Jews. But he doesn't say those who are formerly of the law. He says those who know the law. You could say, okay, it's probably the majority are Jews. But then, you know, in uh, uh, in the book of Acts, what do we see? We see Gentiles who are uh, in the synagogue. You know, they're uh, 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 Greeks, but who are in the synagogue. They believe in uh, uh, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So these are people who know the law. Probably the large majority are Jews. Maybe there's some Christians who are kind of leaning towards the law because of maybe they heard that, you know, if I want to be a Christian, I have to be circumcised. You know, that's the law. The law kills. In the law is death. Because in the law is the knowledge of sin. And that's what we're going to study today. And what blows me away is, remember, even Paul, he was talking about what circumcision really is. We studied that in chapter 2 of the book of Romans. In chapter 2, verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. In the Spirit, capital S, notice. Not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men, but from God. Wow, praise be to the Lord. And so the distinction is made, you know, uh, the letter of the law versus the Spirit of the law because remember the pharisees when they were speaking to Jesus they said oh we're hardcore we believe in Moses and Jesus Christ he said straight up he just you know, how could you believe in Moses Moses wrote about me that's what he told them because the pharisees were following the letter of the law you know it's religion when you follow the letter of the law, I mean, hearken to our studies in Leviticus, and you reread these passages. Okay, I, I'm going to do this. I got to you know, the 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 a uh, 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 lamb without blemish. I got to present, you know, animal without blemish. You know, I'm poor, so it's going to be, you know, a turtle dove. You know, I'm loaded, I'm wealthy, so you know, it's going to be an ox, you know, without blemish. You know, and this is going to be my my offer to the Lord we're going to sacrifice this. And the letter of the law is like, you know, textbook. Okay, boom, boom, boom. I'm going to do this, this, this. You know, all in accordance with the law. That's the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law also teaches, you know, do this. Do, you know, this is what is performed in accordance with the law. But the spirit of the law says it's a shadow of the things to come. Just like the grain. Remember we studied the grain offering in Leviticus? The word of God, the grain being the word of God, and the word became flesh. These are things that the spirit of the law reveals because it points to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, Moses wrote about me. But the Pharisees, because they followed the letter of the law, they were blind. Blind and deaf. They didn't understand. They were following, you know, textbook, the letter of the law. You know, uh, kind of a cheesy example, but have you ever seen somebody play the piano? And they play the piano. And yeah, they can play tunes, but it's like textbook. You know, you read a note on a sheet of paper, you know, bing, you hit the little key, bing. And you read the next note, boom, boom. And you're just playing all this music. And yeah, you can make out the tune. But have you ever seen somebody where it's like how their fingers are like, I don't want to have any like kind of uh, you know wrong imagery here, but it's like they're gently caressing the keys and they're playing and they're moving and it's like it's like it's like pouring out of their hearts. It's like they're from their heart, their shoulders to, down to their arms and you know their forearms and their fingers and they're just oh, they're just their fingers are just gracing the keys and it's like whoa. It's not like, you know, textbook, okay, this note here, boom, 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 boom. Whatever the tone is, the tune is. It's like robots playing music, you know. Don't be robotic, you know. That's not good. But the spirit of the law, which reveals Jesus Christ, is intimate. And the Lord desires intimacy. So here, you know, to this young church, this hardcore question. Do you not know? He says, For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion, rule over a man as long as he lives. Say, wait a second, where is he going here? He just got done, you know, kind of uh, speaking down about the law. Not speaking negatively, but speaking about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. Not the prominence of Jesus Christ. The preeminence of Jesus Christ over the law, because the law points to Jesus Christ. So now he gives an example, and he uses a law, and it's marriage. In verse 2, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. She is released or loosed and delivered from the law of her husband. So she's free from this law. That's if her husband dies. If her husband dies. So you have two people. Husband, wife. Bound, You know, the wife is bound to the husband. The husband is bound to the wife. That's marriage. That's vow. You know, we just studied vows on Wednesday. That's the vow of marriage. You don't get that a lot today because today these millennials they're getting married and they write poems to each other. You know it's weird. It's the weirdest thing ever. See these young kids they start they're standing in front of each other and you know they memorize their lines. You know they oh they sometimes they pull out a piece of paper and they read it and it's like oh yeah you know I promise to love you for the rest of my life and then the guys I promise to love you for the rest of my life and then five years later they're getting divorced. Crazy, crazy, crazy world that we're living in. What about the vows, you know, to have and to hold, you know, and till death do us part?
1: Remember, your vows are
0: before your spouse. They're to your spouse, but they're also to the Lord. They're also to the Lord. And what breaks those vows? Death. Death. Look what is written here in verse 3. So then... If while her husband lives, so notice he's not dead, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. This is all in accordance to the law. She will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress. or Free from that law is to be exempt from that law so that she is not an adulteress, though she has married another man. So... Remember here, so she gets remarried. In this verse 3, she gets remarried. And she's not an adulteress because her husband's dead. You know, I have to say, you say, oh, this is just a law. This is this is under grace. Oh, wait a second here. You know, what about vows, marriage vows? A lot of people. You know, somebody said, oh, you know, this is my wife. Oh, you know, nice to meet you, wife. Uh, so, you know, How long have you been married? And then somebody, oh, I've been married for a year. This is my second wife. Oh, brother, I'm so sorry to hear that you, your, your first wife passed away. I'm so sorry to hear that she died. Oh, no, 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 no. She's still alive. We just had irreconcilable differences. What? What? Do you not fear the Lord? Have you no fear of God? You You, you have irreconcilable differences and you just kicked her to the curb? You know, I have a million irreconcilable differences with my wife, a million that has no bearing on my vows in any way, shape or form. I have two trillion irreconcilable differences with my wife that they have absolutely zero bearing because my vows are to her and to the Lord. You know, you meet somebody, you know, hey, how you doing, You know, come, Hey, meet my husband. Hey, how you doing, sir? Nice to meet you. You know, you talk about, you know, how, you know, how do you like the marriage life? You know, this is new for you guys, huh? The wife says, oh, no, 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 this is husband number four. What? Husband number four? You got all your four husbands, they died? No, 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 no. You know, I, we had irreconcilable differences, so, you know, no big deal. What? It's a huge deal. I hate to break the news to you, but biblically speaking, that's adultery. You're an adulteress. And you, husband, you're an adulterer. Now, it's not to say you're an adulteress, period. You're an adulterer, period. It's to say you're an adulteress, you're an adulterer, comma. And you need to repent before the Lord. You need to be made right before the Lord. You need to be cleansed by the Lord. And you need to have peace with the Lord. A lot of people who are married, they're on wife number two, husband number three, wife number five, and it's whoa, you need to repent. Make sure your heart is right before the Lord at all times. And this is some hardcore things that we're discussing here today because it's very common in the church. Very common in the church. Inside the church. The world is the world. I don't want to say I don't care about the world, but for this particular argument, I really don't care about the world. My concern for the world is that they become believers. And because they're not believers, I expect all kind of filth in the world. And The filth that we see in the world, I expect it. It's really not a surprise. Yeah, the world is getting worse and worse and worse, and it's uglier and uglier and uglier, and it's going to get darker and darker and darker, but I expect it. It's the world. They're non-believers. How will they know know that a particular sin is sin if they've never heard it in the Word of God? They've never heard the law. They have no exposure to anything from the Word of God. How do I expect these people to even know that what they're doing, know that their conduct is evil in the sight of the Lord? I can't expect them to know that. Neither can you, no matter how filthy their behavior is, because they don't know. And how can they know without a teacher? How can they know without a messenger to tell them? You see? But when we look inside the church, whoa, and I say, whoa, as in W O E, married people, wife number two, husband number three, wife number four. That's not good in the eyes of the Lord. Biblically, that's not good. I need to repent. Now, if if you're like on your second wife, you know, say for example, you're listening to this message and you're like, what in the world? You know, I, I, I'm listening and I already feel like dirt because, you know, I'm on wife number two. I'm, you know, my wife and I were listening to this message and, you know, we're on our third marriages. Keep listening, but repent. maybe hit pause right now and repent. Get right with the Lord. I don't say these things to hurt your feelings. I don't say these things to you know come down on you hardcore. I say these things because my heart's desire is that you're right with the Lord. I want the Lord to bless you in your marriage. I want the Lord to bless you in your endeavors, in whatever you do, whatever you set your mind to, whatever you say. I want the Lord to bless your socks off. But we read the Bible, you see, and we're going to study this more in the Old Testament, but you're going to see how the Lord seeks, they receive blessings of the Lord, but then somebody in the camp is involved. There's some kind of sin. Sometimes it's a, a person, a family, a king, a priest. There's some kind of sin where the glory of the Lord is brought shame. There's shame brought to the Lord. And you see the Shekinah glory of the Lord leave the temple or leave the tabernacle. And in Israel, they start to lose battles. But then the Lord sends a prophet. And then a one, either, I mean, it's, it happens a lot in the Old Testament. And that we're, you're going to see that. I'll make mention of it. The prophet says, you know, the, how thus saith the Lord, how I wanted to bless you, how I wanted to guide you, how I wanted to hold you by the hand, you know, how I wanted to feed you, how I wanted to do this. But you have left your first love. You have departed from me. And he says, return to me. Thus saith the Lord, return to me. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Amos, all these beautiful people. That in their world, when things were going crazy, they still stood for the Lord. And the Lord used them. Does that ring a bell, my friend? When you look inside the church today and you see crazy town. And you stand, you make your stand. And then the Lord will call upon you one day. Hey, I I want you to, I, I have a message for the church. And I want to use you. What's the message? Give them my word. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Tend my people. Take care of them. Yeah, Lord, I'm no prophet nor the son of the prophet. That's what Amos said. I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. And you're know what the Lord says? You're a prophet. Surprise, Amos. And you might say that to the Lord, Lord, I, I, I'm not an elder. I, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a ministry leader. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm not a youth leader. I can't do this in this ministry. You know what? You're right. You absolutely cannot do it. You cannot do it. But the Lord can do it. And He can do it through you. It's all the work of the Lord. That no one can take any glory away from Him. It's all for Him. So if you're a married couple, say you're listening right now, and you're like, on, you know, you, you're divorced Broken home. Maybe you don't like hearing that—that that you have a broken home. You know, you get your, uh, you get your daughter on—you know—every other weekend. You get your son every other weekend. And you don't like hearing me say that you have a broken home. But you know what? Your home is broken. And I don't say that to hurt you. I love you. As surely as the Lord lives, I love you. And I have to tell you these things. Why? So that you can repent. So that you can repent and get your heart right with the Lord. Allow Him to repair your home. You know, you said, well, I'm on my second marriage, you know. And, you know, once you've repented, the Lord's, I don't know what you're talking about. You repented. Yeah, you were in sin, but, you know, I threw that as far as the east from the west. Oh, yeah, but, you know, I did this, I did this. I don't know what you're talking about. It's forgotten. You see, and you can walk in that newness. But then at the same time, don't forget, there might be some reaping. Reaping of what has, had been sown. There might be. Sometimes it happens with kids. Kids who don't like what has happened. That's reaping what you have sown. I can't, you know. The Lord can work inside the heart of a child. You can't. You can do things to help, but, you know, kids are smart. They're not dumb. They know what's up. So I tell these things not to hurt you, but so that we can understand all of us corporately together as a body of Christ. If you're on marriage number two, if you're on marriage number two and your you know prior spouse is dead, yeah, that's, that's something else. That's something that's totally different. You know, you marry another you know, if you get, you know, I would say don't get married, you know, because there's something else to look forward to. I align with Paul. I align, me personally, I don't like really talking about marriage too much because I align with Paul. And we're going to study that when we get into the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. I align hardcore with Paul. I love this guy so much. It's not that I hate the idea of marriage. I love the idea of marriage. But marriage unto the Lord, you see, And so, let's look what happens here in verse in verse 3. These, this, this, these are hardcore truths. And so, we, we look at this, and then he says in verse 4. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. Whoa. So now, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit and being used by the Holy Spirit, he is explaining a deeper principle Through the example of marriage. You know, I'll give you an example. Say you have uh, a husband and wife, okay? And uh, the husband dies. And uh, biblically speaking, since the wife or or the uh, widow, she's free from the law of marriage number one. But now she's able to get married again. And biblically speaking, in Christ. But you know, if 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 such a person came to me and asked me questions about it, I would say, don't get married. You know, I I have a a recommendation. It's not the law, but you know, it's not a, in, in by any compulsion. But I would say, you know what, don't get married. Let's look forward to our marriage to the Lord together. Or you know, you say you have two couples, so husband and wife in one set, husband and wife in another set, and in in the first set. The husband dies. In the second step, the wife dies. So now you have a, a a guy and a girl, two different marriages. Biblically speaking, they can get married again, together. They can get married. And it's okay with the Lord. Biblically, it's okay. You know, in Christ, you know, get married. And don't marry a heathen. You know, don't don't marry a, a, a crackhead. Don't marry. You know, if you're female, don't marry a guy that's you know hanging out at the strip clubs. Missionary dating—it's not good, especially when you have known. It's one thing if you're like you know a non-believer, but it's a totally different ballgame when you are a believer because you should know already. And That's you know I I kind of blame pastors, because pastors who don't teach—they want to be everybody's best friend. Oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to teach on this. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I, you know I'm not going to read the Old Testament. I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to teach about revelation on a Revelation. And so you have an anemic flock. They think certain things are okay when they, they, these things aren't okay. So you have two couples. The husband dies in one couple, the wife dies in the other couple. So you have a, 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 a female who, biblically, I don't want to sound crass in saying this, but she's available. And then you have a, a widower who, not to sound crass once again, but biblically speaking, he's available. Why? Because those covenants are now over. Because the covenant needed the two, husband and wife. And the husband died, the wife died over here. Now you have a, a male and a female, two different couples. They're, biblically speaking, they're available. Available. And then, yeah, I don't want to sound crass in saying that because it's kind of worldly. Uh, but I'm just painting this picture of what's happening here. And biblically speaking, they can get married again. And this is the concept that Paul is using here. He says, you know, it's the exact same thing. So in that example, the law of marriage is over because of death. But for you and me, the exact same thing happens. The exact same thing. In our marriage to the law. To the law. Our marriage to the law. You say, whoa, 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 what in the world are you talking about? Marriage to the law? Yes, Why? Because we were born into Adam. You see, we were born into Adam. And it's not the law that dies because the law is still in effect. Remember, the law is a schoolmaster. The law is a tutor to bring people to Christ. The law is still in effect. You know who died? You died. You're the party that died. So you're born into Adam and Paul taught about this a couple chapters ago about Adam and then Jesus Christ. Adam brought forth sin so all under Adam are in sin. You and me we were born. We come out of our mother's womb and we're born into Adam and boom the corruption starts. Beautiful innocent little baby and we grow and grow and grow and we're growing into corruption. Which Heavily, heavily illustrates our need of a second birth, being born again in Christ. So think about our marriage to the law. In sin in Adam. Our marriage to the how uh, our, our our marriage to the law. And the law didn't die, the law is still in effect. It's you and me who have died. If we've died, if we've died, we talked about that last week. We studied that last week. Water baptism. You know what water baptism is? It's your death. It's your gravesite. You know, you. I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Let's get you dead. What? What are you talking about? I mean, you know, let's get you baptized. So you go down in the water. And then you come up out of the water, and people just think it's a process. Oh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to go in the water, come up, and, you know, I'm good to go. But no, it's so incredibly beautiful what the Lord is doing. And what we're doing in showing our commitment and our love for the Lord, you go down in the water, and that's your gravesite. You're dead. And then you come up out of the water. Boom, a new creation in Jesus Christ. The old man is dead. The old woman is dead. And now you're alive in Christ. You see? And he says this in verse 4. You also, have become, <clears throat> you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. That's why, you know, abiding in Christ is a big deal. Because when you abide in Christ, when we abide in Christ, no period. Remember, he says, abide in me and I in you. When you abide in Jesus Christ, it's death death to the law because you're abiding to jesus christ he says this in verse four that you may be married to another to him you see so remember my example where you have you know you're married and then say your husband dies your wife dies you're free from the law of that marriage free from the law you're available so to speak Two couples husband dies in one couple wife dies in the other couple So you have a male and a female two different couples all of a sudden they're available They can get married and it's right in the eyes of the Lord married in Christ. It's right in the eyes of the Lord It's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord But that same exact concept is what Paul is teaching us about What about you In your marriage to the law This is before you were a believer Before you were a Christian, your marriage to the law, and then you go down in the water, baptism, that's your grave site, you're dead now, you come up out of the water, boom, you know what happens? You're available, you see? That first marriage to the law, it's gone, it is over with, over because you're the one that died, it's over. And so, now that you're available, this is what Paul says in verse four: that you may that you may be married to another to him. And that's our marriage to Jesus Christ, which is very forward looking. Because in today's state, I mean, we're virgins unto Christ, betrothed unto Christ. The marriage is going to happen. The marriage is coming at a future event. A future time the marriage is coming. But what, what feet I don't know any female, I, I don't know any female who is, you know, a guy gets on his knees and says, you know, will you marry me? And she says, yes. And, you know, the husband says, okay, I got to go, you know, I got to go after war. I got to go to Afghanistan or I got to go to wherever, you know, I got to go to, I don't know, wherever and so let's you know we're going to engage to be married and when i come back we're you know we're going to get married i shouldn't say i don't know anyway there's females out there that would be unfaithful but the good ones they stay faithful you see they stay faithful and that's us that's the church that's the wise virgins you know there are other virgins who aren't wise Unwise, those are the ones who run out of oil in the last days. Oil for the lamps, in accordance with the uh, parable from Matthew 25. But for you and me, we're wise virgins. The marriage is coming. But think of the question, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And the day you said yes, whenever that was, think of it as the Lord saying, will you marry me? Will you marry me? And you say, yes, Lord, I will marry you. And until he comes, we stay faithful to Jesus Christ. You get baptized, yes, Lord, I will marry you, okay? Let's get baptized. We go get down in the water, boom, dead. Our marriage to the law is over. The law is still in effect for other people. But for you, for me, it's over because of my death, because of your death. We come up out of the water, or alive. And, I mean, uh, the pastor should tell you this before. You know, you know, don't go down in the water and have this. You know, start thinking about because you got to breathe. You know, so you go down in the water, you come up out of the water, boom, you're available. You're available, and we stay virgins. We stay wise virgins. Betrothed to Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Hosea chapter two really quick. It's so romantic, you know. It's so romantic, you know. It's so beautiful when you read these passages. In, like in Hosea 2. It's such a divine romance. It's so beautiful. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. This is literally to her heart. I will speak comfort to her, to her heart. I will give her vineyards from there. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Now, this valley of Acor, th- these are things that we're going to study in the Old Testament. That's what I think is so beautiful about the prophets and especially, even more so, the minor prophets. Because in the minor prophets, when you hear major prophets and minor prophets, it's not like in accordance with their stature major prophets it's because of the size of the book like isaiah that's a major prophet uh, jo, uh, uh, jeremiah major prophet because the the books are huge compared to hosea compared to joel you know compared to zephaniah uh, so you have the the these these the, the, towards the end of the old testament so those are the minor prophets and they're called minor prophets just because of the size of their books okay so don't think of their minor prophets because you know jeremiah is way more awesome no it has nothing to do with that but what I love about the Minor Prophets is that they make like the Valley of Achor. We're going to study this, the Valley of Achor. And it's very troublesome scenes that happen there. And not just the Valley of Achor, but, you know, we're going to read about it all over in the Minor Prophets. And that's what's written. And, you know, when you read about it in Judges, in Joshua, you're going to see these places where, whoa, there's like, you know, sometimes battles are lost, you know, major troublesome scenes in the Old Testament. And then you get to the minor prophets and the Lord makes it beautiful again, just like it's written here in verse 15 and the Valley of Acor as a door of hope. So trouble becomes hope. She shall, she, she shall sing there. She shall sing there. You see? See how romantic this is? This is the word of God. How romantic this is. For us, for you and me as believers. As in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. You know, and you see here in verse 16. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband. you see? And no longer call me my master. I mean, you think in the Old Testament about a bond servant, So a servant, you know, in service of a master. Okay, maybe the servant sold himself or sold herself because, you know, in the law, there's provision in the law where if you're poor, maybe, you know, you're poor and you don't have any flock and you got to feed your family. So what happens is like, okay, I'm uh, uh, going to, as a patriarch of my family, I'm going to sell my son. I'm going to sell my son. And it's not like I'm going to sell my son and he's going to be a slave forever. No, I'm going to sell my son to a a master, a, a wealthy guy and my son is going to serve this wealthy guy for you know 5 years or until the year of jubilee or you know maybe for a certain period of time and at the end of this term at the end then he's free he can come back home again so say i have a son and then all of a sudden i say okay i'm poor i'm broke my flock it's terrible i i need to I need to breed better, but I don't have the funds to do it. So I'm going to sell my son here. I'm going to sell my son for X amount of dollars. And then the rich guy gives me a whole bunch of money. And now I'm able to repair my flock. I'm able to breed better. And in the course of, say, three years, four years, five years, now all of a sudden my sheep are beautiful. Because I've been able to breed out, you know, the imperfections. I've been able to breed out all the, you know, whatever it is. And so now it's like I'm on the road to recovery. Financially speaking. And at the end of five years, ten years, or at the year of Jubilee, I get my son back. And it's like, okay, son, look, I'm dying now. I'm an old man, so I'm dying here. This is for you, so you can start building up for your family. This is what I've done. So I get my son back after a period of time. So it's not like, you know, uh, slavery forever. But then say, for example, my son, who was, you know, serving the master. He doesn't hate me as his dad. He doesn't hate me at all. He loves me. I mean you know <laughs> for for example, you know, so say for example, my son loves me, <laughs> but something happened while he was under the care of this master. The master's yoke was easy, his burden was light. he treated my son lovingly with kindness. My husband fell in love, or my 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 son fell in love with his master, and my master fell in love with my son and i'm you know you hear me say that don't 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 get don't let your mind get carnal. you know take every thought captive to the obedience of christ as is written second corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 don't think don't let your mind go off into crazy town like whoa the son fell in love with the master the master fell in love with the son don't get don't let your mind get gross keep your mind a nice clean place for the lord So, going back to my example, my son falls in love with the Master. The Master falls in love with the Son. You know, it's the year of Jubilee. I go knocking on the door. Hey, you know, son, how you doing? My son comes out and greets me. Hey, let's go. Let's go back home. You're going to love what I did. And then my son says, you know what? Hey, Pops, I would love to go with you and thank you for doing this. I'm glad you were able to recover, but I think I want to stay here. Why, son? You don't want to come work on the... You know, work here. Why? What happened? Hey, pops, I fell in love with the master. Let me talk to the master. And the master comes out. You know, what I what? How has my son? You know, my son worked well for you. My son did this for you. My son did that for you. And in the course of conversation, you find out. Wow, this this guy really loves my son. You know, this guy, say you sold your daughter to go serve. You know, you sold your son and your daughter. Your son was going to go work on the fields. And your daughter was going to go work in the home of the master. You know, like, in whatever capacity. And then your daughter, you know, hey, pops, you know, thanks for doing this. You know, I I fell in love with the master too. What? Yeah, I think I'm going to be a bond servant, Dad. Whoa. Okay. Okay. And so you talk to the master, and it turns out like, wow, this is, this isn't like you know, uh, the masters that I'm accustomed to. This is a different guy. He's a really, really nice guy. I can understand, man. I love him, you know. Like, you know, man, can can I be your servant too? You know. And then all of a sudden, you know, my son, my daughter, they become bond servants. They go to the door of the house, and the master takes the 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 all like the little poker. And puts a pokes right in the in the right ear. So now when you see my son on the street, you see his little ear, his little earring, and you know, wow, he's a bondservant, he loves his master. And not just he loves his master. Because if you know, if I was a slave, if you were a servant, and say we were servants together, and we fall in love with the master, the master, you know, the okay, okay, master, I want to be a bondservant, I want to be a bondservant. Master could say, you know, no way. I don't like your work ethic. I don't like how you do this. You know, you you didn't make my coffee right. You know, I'm just you didn't. You know, you didn't, don't don't know how to do this. You didn't do this. The food was terrible. No thanks. You know, you did your time. I paid my fee. I'm done. You no, know, for the servant to love his master, for the servant to love her master, and for the master to say, "I love you too." I love you too. Yes, I want you to be my bondservant. And boom, the earring. So like say we're having a meal in the master's home and you see people bringing the food. Then you look up and you look at the ear of one and you see, whoa, it's, it's got the earring in it. It might be a young person. Wow, this is a brand new bondservant. Wow, but then you look to your right, you look to your left and you see an old guy. Maybe he worked in the fields as when he was younger, when he was strong. But now he's like, you know... 80 years old, and he's still serving in the master's home, but he can't work in the fields anymore. But he's like, you know, you know, filling our waters, filling our coffees. And he's got a ring in his ear. It's not a brand new shiny. It's like, you know, it's old. You can tell it's old. Wow, he's been a bond servant a long time. You see how beautiful this is? Wow, this guy loves his master. And the master, he doesn't treat them. He calls them by their first name. He's nice to them. Wow, the master loves them too. What a beautiful relationship. And so here we look at verse 16. He says, no longer call me my master. The end of verse 16. But in the middle, he says that you will call me my husband. You see? How beautiful this is. What a beautiful romance. And I don't mean to... Blaspheme the Word of God in saying this. In no way, shape or form do I mean to blaspheme, but it's like the ultimate ultimate Cinderella story. And I don't want to blaspheme the Word of God by introducing myth, uh, myth into the Word of God. but I say that, that it's like the ultimate Cinderella story to teach you to give you this example. you know, I speak as a man, to give you this example of what we have to look forward to in our marriage with Jesus Christ. In verse 17, For I will take from her mouth the names of the Baals, and they shall be remembered by their name no more. In that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, with the birds of the air, and with the creeping things of the ground. Bow and sword of battle I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down safely. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice and loving kindness and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. You see? And how beautiful this is. In verse 23, then I will sow her for myself then I will sow her for myself in the earth, and I will have mercy on her who had not obtained mercy. Then I will say to those who were not my people, You are my people. And they shall say, You are my God. That's what I love so much about these. It's like, what's well, so romantic. I've talked with men before. They're like, oh yeah, supposed tough guys, you know. Supposedly the machi machismo. We talk about romance, you know. We talk about, you know, the Jesus Christ is our husband. What doesn't that bother you? No way. No way. Oh, but I'm a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. I can't. I can't think that way. Why not? Have you ever been shot at? Have you ever jumped out of helicopters? Have you pulled teeth out of your elbows? Uh, Throw that tough guy business out the door. Throw that tough guy business out the door. Because the meek shall inherit the earth. I speak as a man in saying that. But, you know, a lot of men are very macho. You got to throw that out the door. Because it's the meek that will inherit the earth. Let's go back to our study in Romans. Romans 7, <clears throat> verse, um, uh, verse 4. So you, we see this concept, you know, uh, dead to the law, or, or uh, dead to the law, but divorce from, not divorce, but like because of our death, the, 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 the covenant of marriage is over because of my death, because of your death. Through the law. And then we come up out of the water. Water baptism. We're available. And boom. Like Paul says that you may be married to another. To him. Who was raised from the dead. That we should bear fruit to God. And this is. You know not to. You got to keep your mind clean. As we study these things. Don't let your mind go into crazy town. Don't let your mind think dirty thoughts. Because remember your body is a temple. You have to keep the body clean. You have to keep the mind clean. Keep the heart clean. Keep it clean. But he said bear fruit to God translates in the Greek as to be fertile and bear fruit to God. To be fertile. And I say this for my barren sisters if you're listening and you can't have children. Don't forget you have another husband. You might have a lowercase h husband and he's your husband and according to the flesh. But if you're barren and you cannot have children, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. You can't bear fruit to your lowercase h husband, but you can bear fruit to your uppercase h husband. You can bear fruit to him. And that's what is written here. That we should bear fruit to God. That we we should be fertile and bear fruit to God. Turn with me really quick to Galatians chapter 5. You say what do you mean? I don't get it. Galatians 5 bearing fruit to the Lord verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Notice verse 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. You know what that means? Death. Death. That's what that means. People say, oh, I've been crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Okay. Praise be to the Lord. Crucified with Christ its a beautiful thing. But then at the same time, we have to understand, like when when Paul says that he's crucified with Christ in Galatians chapter 2, Verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And a lot of Christians lean on that verse. And I'm not suggesting that you cannot lean on that verse. I'm saying lean on it. Definitely lean on it. But don't forget who wrote Galatians 2.20. Don't forget who wrote that. Paul wrote that. I have been crucified with Christ. We studied in the book of Acts, we studied his walk. We see his speech, we see the works of his hands, the steps of his feet. We've seen it. And we're seeing it more as we study the epistles. He's the one who says, I have been crucified with Christ. Indeed, we can say, he is dead. Even in the book of Acts, he is dead. Remember when all the Christians were like, Paul, don't do this? this is Paul. Paul was like, straight up, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. So when he writes, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You can lean on that. But where's the death? Where's the death? I met, you know, a brother comes and says, oh yeah, I've been crucified with Christ It's longer. I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay. It's pretty neat that you're saying that, brother, but I have something to ask you. You, you know, bust out your phone. Look at your social media. How come you were drunk last night? Look at your social media. How come you, who's this girl that you're with and who's this other girl that you're with? Does your wife know? Hey, brother, you know, how come I see what's up with these pictures I see on social media? This was just last night. And you're telling me you're crucified with Christ? You know what? something? Brother, I love you. But I don't see death. I think you're still married to the law. Because I don't see death. And, you know, maybe you're not married to the law. But where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Because if you're married to Christ, we should bear fruit to Christ, as is written in Holy Scripture. Where's the fruit? You see? It's so powerful when you start to... Uh, you look at the time frame. Like, around Acts twenty twenty one is when the book of Romans was written. A young church. I mean, you you read in in Acts... uh, Well, we've seen the birth of the church. Remember in our study in the book of Acts, and you say, wow, look, there's a church in Philippi. Wow, there's the church in Corinth. You see the birth of the church. And sometimes two years later, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, you know, it's like, what has happened in the church? What has happened... For Paul to write these letters, especially Corinth, we're going to study that you know pretty soon, but especially Corinth, like what in the world is happening what What has happened when Paul says, "I wish I could write to like i'm 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 like I'm writing to adults, but I can't do that because of you, you're on milk now I have to write like I'm writing to babies, to children because you haven't you have not grown. And we see the the fruit of the Spirit, which is uh, uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But also in Galatians chapter 5, we see the works of the flesh too in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past or in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what this means here? When you read verse nineteen through twenty one, you know what that tells us? There's no death. There's no death. And somebody says, oh, I've been crucified with Christ. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't see the death, brother. I don't see the death, sister. And not that you have to prove anything to me. But I also call it like I see it. I've taken the plank out of my own eyes. And I've taken the plank out of my own eyes, not so that I can beat you. That's like another huge plank back in my eye. I take the plank out of my eye so now I can see clearly. You got to put down the crack pipe, throw it away. You got to put down the whiskey bottle, throw it away. You got to give up the pornography. Look at what is written here in verse 19. Fornication, adultery, lewdness, uncleanness. You got to throw away the pornography. You're married and you have girlfriend number one, two, three, four, five. You got to throw them away. Oh, but I'm crucified with Christ. I don't see that. Not that you know, you don't have to prove anything to me. But I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be deceived. Because as is written here in verse 21 those who practice such things. Practice such things. You hear people talk about habitual sin. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Whoa, that's some hardcore stuff. But praise be to the Lord because this is how He teaches us. And so let's go back to Romans 7 now. And Romans 7 here, verse uh, verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, past tense, when we were, I love how Paul includes himself, when we were, not when you were, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. See, this: the sinful passions were aroused by the law. When he says we're, we're we're at work in our members, that's body parts. We're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Past tense. That's the old man, that's old wineskin. Now I have to say something to If you're a listener and you're a Calvinist, you are into reformed theory. I call it Reformed Theory, I don't call it Reformed theology. I call it Reformed Theory because it's just a theory. And there are very, very famous. Pastors, if you want to call them pastors. Very famous teachers, if you want to call them teachers. Very famous book writers, they have their own study Bibles. And they say, oh, God created sin. God makes you sin. No way. That's not in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. That's not in the Bible at all. Oh, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yeah, he did. But that was judgment. Judgment. Don't forget, Pharaoh hardened his heart one time, second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, and then boom, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's judgment. What does that tell me? What does that tell you? Don't harden your heart. Don't let your heart become hard through the deceitfulness of sin. You say, oh, you know, I'm I'm predestined for heaven. My heart cannot, uh, cannot become hard. Really? That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, so the church, Christians. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Whoa, 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 wait a second. This the famous teacher, this famous guy who has his, his study Bible, he says this, I don't care what he says. Who is he? Who is he, man? What does the Word of God say? Here in Hebrews 3 verse 12, beware brethren, those are Christians, people inside the church. Beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's the apostasy, which is a prophesied event. The great falling away, the great defection away from truth. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what can happen inside of my heart, inside of your heart. Our hearts can become hard. The same thing happened to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Boom, God hardened his heart. Judgment. Same thing happened to Nebuchadnezzar. You see? Let's go back to Romans 7. I always put my finger there, but I uh, lost. I had to go back to it really quick. So, here in uh, Romans 7, verse uh, 5. Oh, so, so the reason why I said that is because a lot of times these Calvinist teachers, these Reformed theory teachers, uh, those of the, you know, mainline Presbyterianism, they say, oh, it's a setup. It's a setup. God set you up in his in order to fulfill His will of predestining you to hell. He set you up. No way. Such a mindset, such a concept, such a theory does not align with the Word of God. You see? Don't forget, you know, that in the law, there was a means for atonement. A means for atonement in the law. And through the law, there's a means for atonement. But it's still a shadow of the things to come. This is where Calvinism gets very dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous on other multiple levels. On other fronts, it's dangerous doctrine, dangerous theology, reformed theory. It's very dangerous. They call it theology, but it's very dangerous theory. Because there are some very famous Teachers. People who have their own study Bibles. And the sheep and lamb, they read it. They read about God predestining people to heaven and God predestining people to hell for His glory. But that's a lie from the pit of hell. He takes no pleasure in the, in the death of the wicked. Biblically speaking, He is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, but God predestined these people to hell. Well, why is he long-suffering then? He predestines people to heaven. Why is he long-suffering when he they're in heaven? They're going to heaven. Why is he long-suffering? He shouldn't be long-suffering. And if they, he predestines people to hell, why is he long suffering for them? Because it was, they were predestined to hell. You see, the theory doesn't fit truth. It's like science, you know. You you know, you have these th- theories, these ideas. You test them. And if it doesn't fit, you've got to throw it in the trash because it doesn't work. And that's what I say. That's why I say Reformed theory. Because it's just a theory. Me, personally, for me, I hear the theory and then I throw it in the trash. Because it doesn't align with Scripture. Oh, but this guy has his study Bible. This guy has his study Bible. I really don't care what he writes, what he says. I don't care about the size of his congregation. He also says you could take the mark of the beast and still be saved, which is directly in contradiction to the word of God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're like, what, where is he going with this? Hit, well, don't hit pause. Listen to this message first and then afterwards. Listen to it. You have to scroll for a while. But listen to a message, it's called, Do Not Take the Mark of the Beast. Listen to that, and you'll know exactly, it's a short one, it's a short one. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Very dangerous, in the last days, it's like, you know, it's almost like a big setup to fool Christians. It's okay to take the mark of the beast? That's not biblical. It's very dangerous doctrine, very dangerous teaching. And so let's go back here to chapter 7, Romans. In verse 5, you see the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Notice, so at the end of verse 4, bear fruit to God when we're married to Him. But when you're married to the law, bear fruit to death here at the end of verse 5. So there's two marriages I meant for you and me, if you're in Christ, you're abiding in Christ. It's like we're on our second marriages. Our first marriage was marriage to the law. And we're dead. And we're alive again. And it's like, wow, you know, we're available. And then we're married to Jesus Christ. And we bear fruit to God. He says this in verse 6. But now. So uh, verse 5, we were, past tense, including himself. Now he says, but now, present tense, new man, new man, new wineskin, where the grain, where the new wine can go inside and then the oil. You see? But now, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were. Having died to what we were. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. I don't want to compel you to do anything but i'll step in that direction a little bit i strongly strongly recommend that you highlight these words having died to what we were i strongly recommend that you highlight that you say oh but you know what Uh, you would think about the works of the flesh i had fun when i was doing this i had fun when i was doing that That was when you were married to the law. That was your behavior when you were married to the law. The old man has not been reckoned dead. And since you're dead, since you have died and you're married to Jesus Christ, you bear fruit to Him, fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's very important for you and me to reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. So that we can be crucified with Christ. Crucifixion with Christ requires death. It requires that. So when Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, yes, we can proclaim the exact same thing. But don't forget that crucifixion is death. Is death. You see? That's why we carry our crosses. It's the instrument of death. The the instrument to which we will die is what we carry. Just like Jesus Christ. Remember, somebody helped him carry his cross. A little picture of the church. You help me carry my cross. I help you carry your cross. I help you die. You help me die. I'm not speaking like you, suicide. I'm speaking about death to the flesh, death to the carnal nature, the body of Christ. And so look what happens here. He says, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness. Serve here is to be slaves. Remember Hosea 2 verse 16. You know, you know, you say my master, but then you say my husband you say, I, I don't like this slavery. I, I don't like and you look at history books and you say, Well, how, you know slavery is slavery's not good. You read the Bible, you read about slavery in the Bible, you see it's temporal. You see that a slave can fall in love with his master, the master can fall, you see the concept of bond It's a different ballgame when you read the Bible. Slavery in the Bible is different than slavery in the world. What a beautiful lesson about the law of Jubilee, the the, the statute of jubilee in the old testament freedom freedom what about jubilee for christians well that's that's not yet we're still in these earth suits we're still in these earth suits but corruption will put on incorruption one day you see this lesson that jubilee teaches us so many people say Oh yeah, in the Bible they teach about Jubilee and I think we should have Jubilee because I have student debt, I have my mortgage, I have all this consumer debt, I got this car loan or whatever. I think we should have the Jubilee so that we can have zero balance on my debt. Okay, I get what you're saying. But if you want one lot, you got to have all the law and in the law is death. I know you really want Jubilee, but, you know, do you also want, you know, this and that, where the penalty is death by stoning? Do you really want that?
1: Oh, no, 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 I just want to
0: cherry pick. I like this. Well, you can't cherry pick. And you talk to non-believers, you see, you Christians think that we should be stoned to death. You Christians think that you should stone the homosexuals, that we should stone the lesbians. You say, no, 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 homosexual. No, 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 lesbian. Let me tell you something. I should be stoned, my friend. I'm first in line worthy of death. Because of my wickedness. That's why I'm so in love with Jesus Christ. And that's why I tell him to you. And that's why I tell you of him. Because I want you to love him too. He loves you. But I want you to know that he loves you. You make your choice. But he loves you. I don't want you to be stoned. I don't think you should be stoned. I want you to be alive in Christ. I want you to have this newness of the spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter which is written here in verse 6. I want you to be alive in Christ. I don't think you should be stoned. I think I should be stoned. But I'm so in love with Jesus Christ. Because just as He said to the woman caught in adultery, Woman, where are your accusers? He said the same thing to me. Where are your accusers? And He'll say the same thing to you. The question is this Do you believe? I tell you, God loves you. I tell you, God sent his son into the world not to condemn you, but that through him, Jesus Christ, you might be saved. Do you believe? And if you do, hit pause and then scroll and listen to the message you know, how to become a Christian or how to commit your life to Jesus. Say the sinner's prayer. And then, you know, come back and listen, resume. Because I want you to be in the family of God. I want to call you my brother. I want to call you my sister in Christ. I want to walk with you to Zion. It's like, whoa, what are you talking about, Zion? Paradise. Paradise was lost in Genesis. Paradise is gained in Revelation. A future time period. But that's where we're going. That's where I'm going, and I want you to join me. So look what happens here in verse 6. He says, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You see this letter here, the letter of the law versus the Spirit of the law. That's why Jesus Christ says, Moses wrote about me. Because Moses wrote about Jesus Christ knowing full well he was writing in the Spirit. Capturing all these statutes that point to Jesus Christ. Remember, the Old Testament is a one-way road. One way. One-way road. It's not that we go back to the law in Hebrew Roots Movement. that's, That's a lie. That's deception. Because Satan wants you to move further and further and further away from the cross of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be entangled back into the law where there's death. We studied that a couple weeks ago. But the law is a one-way road. You know, Old Testament, and it all points to Jesus Christ one way. It's like, eh, schooling is a one-way road. You have kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth, five, six, you know, college, you know, 12, first year college, second year. It's a one-way road. You don't go from 10th grade to first grade. You don't go from 9th grade to 8th grade. Sometimes people are held back a year. Like the church in Corinth. You could say they were held back a year. Because Paul says, I wish I could be writing to you like you were adults, but I got to write to you like your babies again. So they were held back. Why? Because of the workers of the flesh. Not of the spirit. And that's what we're going to study hardcore when we get into 1 1 Corinthians. But the same thing applies to the church in Rome, to the church in Philippi, to the church in Galatia, to the church right where you're living, right where you are right now. The same exact thing applies. The Old Testament is a one-way road that points to Jesus Christ. So we can look at the law, we can study the law, not to go to the law and perform the works of the law, but to understand the law. Get a deeper understanding of the Word of God, the nature and character of our Lord. The nature and character of God. What he likes, what he doesn't like. He says this, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Question mark. Certainly not, exclamation point. Calvinists need to read this. Reformed theory people need to read this and understand. Because you have these teachers, famous teachers. Oh, God created sin. God makes you sin because he predestines you to hell. So he makes you sin. No way. He said, Paul says this On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness, covetousness unless the law said, You shall not covet. You see? The Old Testament, don't forget, the Old Testament had captured, and we studied this in Leviticus, a means of atonement. It's temporal. And it's a shadow of the things to come. He said, what do you mean it's temporal? In John chapter 4, verse 23, the Lord says this to the woman at the well. He says, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. All well, the Word became flesh. All of this is the Word of God. But also in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter eight, and I reference this quite a bit, but in Hebrews eight verse six says, "But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, better than the old covenant, which was established on better promises, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. That's why you hear me say from time to time that the law was created with loopholes. Loopholes. What was the loophole? It's inefficiency. Yes, there there was a means of atonement. Yes, there's a means in the law about how to be right with God in the law, how to have peace with God in the law. But the first covenant is still faultless. Why? So that there would be room, there would be a place where a second could be sought. A better covenant, a better promise, which is what? Jesus Christ, marriage. Now you hear me say how the Old Testament is a one-way road? What a grand lesson it is. What a grand lesson it is. You see? Now let's go back to Romans 7. He says in verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, by the law, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Or for without the law, sin was dead. You know what i I mean, you read the book of Genesis. Where do you see stoning in the book of Genesis? You don't see it. Why? Because the law is given in Exodus. You know, you get into like the mid toward the end of Exodus. That's when the law is given. Remember, like Moses killed an Egyptian. And the Lord didn't want to kill Moses. Because the law hadn't been given. Thou shalt not kill. It hadn't been given yet. But what happened when uh, Moses didn't circumcise his sons? The Lord wanted to kill Moses. Straight up, God wanted to kill Moses. And it was this beautiful wife that interceded for her husband and circumcised her sons through the foreskins at Moses' feet and saved her husband's life. Moses. I mean, everybody says, wow, you know Moses, he's so awesome, he's so cool, wow. And he is, I'm not cheapening him by saying it like that. But don't forget the ministry of Zipporah, his wife. Don't forget the ministry of Zipporah. She saved his life because Moses would have broken the law, the law of circumcision. So Moses killed an Egyptian, the Lord didn't kill Moses because the law hadn't been given. The law of circumcision was given to Abraham. A law that Moses almost broke and God wanted to kill him. And Zipporah interceded. And where do you see stoning in the book of Genesis? You don't see stoning. Why? Because the law hadn't been given. So as is written here, but sin in verse 8, taking opportunity by the commandment, by the law, produced in me all manner of evil desire. You see, so for the Calvinists, if you're a Calvinist and you're listening, If you're a neo-Calvinist, you know, a lot of people, I'm not a Calvinist, I'm a neo-Calvinist. Same thing, same thing. Millennials, they try to make things sound cool. So I'm not a Calvinist, I'm a neo-Calvinist. Yeah, you're a Calvinist. Reformed theory people? Mainline Presbyterianism? Which can be boiled down to Calvinism? Oh, but my pastor teaches that God created sin. God makes people sin because they're predestined to hell. doesn't align with scripture. God makes people sin. God created sin and God makes people sin. Why would it be long suffering? When verse 8 says this, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me. Paul, Paul is saying this, produced in me, Paul. That's what he's saying. All manner of evil desire for apart from the lost sin was dead. You see? Sometimes people see see this evil desire, which translates as a longing for things forbidden. A lot of times people talk, a lot of brothers, they come to me, you know, not so much anymore. But talking about habitual sin, a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, and a lot of alcohol. Those are the three biggies, in my experience. Sex, drugs, and alcohol, those are biggies inside the church the world is the world i expect it in the world it's to be expected in the world i'm talking about inside the church sex drugs and alcohol habitual sin habitual sin no you know what needs to happen you need to die more you need to carry your cross did you forget to carry your cross brother did you forget to carry your cross sister here let's walk a little bit let me hold that for you let's walk. Remember, there was another guy who carried the cross of Jesus Christ for him. It's like, whoa, how how is this possible? How could he somebody even carry that? When he became sin, or sin was placed? like, I mean, it it breaks my heart. But it also I also rejoice when we did prophecies of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53. It breaks my heart. But I also rejoice because it's the means by which we're saved. Where Jesus pays the price of my sin. He pays the price of your sin. If you're not a believer, he pays the price of your sin if you believe. It's highly supernatural. It's a spiritual transaction. Totally supernatural. And it's not carnally discerned. It is spiritually discerned. My question to you is, do you have ears? Do you have eyes to see and ears to hear? You say, oh yeah, I have ears. Yeah, but can you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I have eyes. Okay, I can see that. But can you understand what I'm saying? He says in verse nine, I was alive once without the law. He's referring to himself when he was a young kid. A young child. You look at a kid, a three-year-old, two-year-old, four, five, six, seven. They're alive without the law because they don't understand these things. They don't understand like a five-year-old, you know, maybe a a three-year-old, two-year-old, young kid. People talk, you know, where is the age of accountability in the Bible? Right here, verse nine. This is where the age of accountability is. Paul says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sin was given life, is how it translates, and I died. So like, you know, in in verse 4, you hear me speak about this concept of marriage to the law. And you die, and now, you know, you're free from being married to the law. And since you're free from being married to the law, now you're available and you marry Jesus Christ. This is written here in verse 4, that you may be, may be married to another, to Him, to Jesus, Son of the Most High God. So even in your marriage to the law, before you're a Christian, before you believe in your marriage to the law, what about when you're so young you don't understand the law? You see? And that's what Paul is saying. I was alive once without, without the law. How could you call that the age of accountability? Well, because there was no conviction of sin. There was no. He says, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So take a a, a box, an enclosed box. You put it on the coffee table. And you tell a a three-year-old, hey, whatever you do, do not touch this box. Do you know what that does? The very second you say, do not touch this box. You know what that three-year-old wants to do? That three-year-old wants to open that box. Because you've told them don't open that box. You've told her, don't open that box. And that beautiful, beautiful three-year-old wants to open that box. Why? Because he or she knows, oh, you know, Mama, Papa, they say don't open the box. But what's in it? They say don't open it, but now I want to know even more. And that's what the law does. That's what the law does. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Sin was given life and I died. You see? And so he says, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. I found to bring death. Also, never ever forget, and I'm always going to mention this. Never ever forget that the law has a means for atonement. The, the law has a means for being right with the Lord. You see? And he says this. For sin, in verse 11, taking occasion by the commandment, seduced me. Very interesting. Seduced me. Where do you see seduction? Spiritual seduction. Satan. Satan. You see? The devil, that serpent of old Lucifer, Beelzebub, who was a murderer from the beginning, and father of lies. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, translates as seduced me. You see that serpent of old, he's still uh, still about that dirty, wicked business. Deception. And by it killed me. That's why you hear me speak about the Hebrew roots. It's not good. It's not only a false doctrine. It's very dangerous. I mean, all false doctrine is dangerous. But this is like to pull you away from Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. And you have these people, you know, from Nebraska, a white guy from Nebraska, you know, and he puts in the prayer, prayer shawl, you know, and he wears it. He starts speaking in Hebrew. He has no, he's not even, not even Jewish. And he starts teaching, oh, yeah, you know, the, he speaks the Hebrew, you know, and he starts, oh, yeah, we got to do the feast, the festivals, all these things. Oh, because our Messiah was Jewish, so we got to go back to the law. We got to study this and perform these things. What are you doing, you Nebraskan guy? What are you doing? Have you not read Galatians? Have you not read? Well, you know, in, in, in verse uh, 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 Galatians chapter 4, in verse uh, 9, he says, how, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. In verse 21 of the same chapter, tell me you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not hear the law? These are hardcore questions for the church, for Christians. The Hebrew Roots Movement is very dangerous and demonic. I don't care how it's presented. It's demonic because Satan wants to drag you away from the cross and bring you into the law where there is death. See, in verse 10, going back to Romans 7, verse 10, And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. It says, seduced me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. The law is holy. So, you, you remember? Okay, so, how do I say this? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. The law is not made for a righteous person. This is a Pharisee of Pharisees who says this to a young pastor, young Pastor Timothy. Paul, Pastor Paul, Teacher Paul, he says it to young Pastor Timothy. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. The law is not made for a righteous person, but the law is still holy. The law is still Holy. As is written here in verse 12, therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. You say, "Wait a second. If the law is so bad, how can it be holy?" You know how it's holy? I mean, more reasons, but you know, here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor translates as schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. See? that we might be justified by faith. There is no justification in the law. I mean, there's justification in terms of the performance of the law, but it's a shadow of the things to come. There is atonement in the law, but it's a shadow of the things to come. All pointing to Jesus Christ. And the justification by faith. And the law is a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. You see? No longer under a tutor. So I'll give you an example. So say you have a guy who's a believer. He's in Christ. He's a Christian. And just as is written in what we read in Hebrews... Hebrews 3, so he's a Christian, okay? So here's my example. There's a Christian guy walking with the Lord. He loves the Lord. And he has brewing in his heart an evil heart of unbelief. This is what I'm extrapolating from Hebrews 3, verse 12. He has an evil heart of unbelief, and his heart starts to become harder through that unbelief. Don't forget, then in, in uh, I'll do some more extrapolation from uh, Acts chapter 1. I'm turning there. Acts chapter 1, verse 25. So Judas by transgression fell. Judas by transgression fell. So let me paint a picture through this extrapolation. So you have a guy walking with the Lord for five years. He loves the Lord. And all of a sudden he starts to transgress a little sidestep away from the narrow path one sidestep away on the narrow path you're, you're still going to be on the narrow path two side steps away you're still going to be on the narrow path three side steps uh, you're getting close to the edge what about 10 side steps that's why transgression it's not good you want to be right in the middle of the narrow path because satan will be on the left side And he'll be like, hey, come over here, come over here, come over here. And you do sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, sidestep left, and fall. And that's transgression. Still a sin, but it's transgression, a sidestep. We studied that in Leviticus, remember? So Judas, by transgression, fell. In your walk. So you have this believer. Walking with the Lord for five years. He loves the Lord. And all of a sudden, Satan says, oh, yeah, here's some crack. Go ahead and hang out with your friends. Do some crack. Do your meth. You you can have meth mouth. Go to the strip club. Your friend calls you. Go to the strip club. Yeah, go with them. Go with them to the strip club. Here's this bottle of whiskey. Down it. Each choice you make, sidestep, 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 sidestep. And you know what happens? The whole time, your heart is getting harder and harder and harder and harder that's the deceitfulness of sin as is written in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 your heart can be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin and then your heart gets so hard all of a sudden it becomes unbelieving as is written in Hebrews 3 verse 12 in departing from the living god boom you see it's not good not good at all, so what does that tell us? What does that tell you? What does that tell me? Let's not transgress and when we transgress not if when because we're still in these earth suits when we tra- you take a little side step left, repent and take a side step right, get right back in the middle. Don't take a side step left and stay there, and another side step left and stay there. No, you take a side step left, repent, and get you know take a side step right, get right back in the middle. You take a side step right, you know, repent. Take a side step left. Get right in the middle. You want to be right smack dab in the middle of the narrow path. People will make fun of you. They'll call you a legalist. But who cares, you know? Who cares? It's your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Your walk. Nobody else can walk it for you, though many will try. It's your walk. So look what happens here in Romans chapter 7. So the law is in verse 12, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. OK, so say, for example, a person that sidestep, a person who loves the Lord. They're not under the law because the law is not made for a righteous person. They're under grace. And then that person sidesteps, sidesteps, sidesteps and falls. Their heart becomes hard. Now what happens is they're under the law. They were under grace, but now they're under the law. And in the law is death. But don't forget, the law is a schoolmaster. The law is a tutor. To do some hardcore conviction. To say, hey, get out of here. Go back to under the grace. Go back to being under grace because the law is a schoolmaster, a tutor to bring us to Christ. And so that person realizes the error of his ways, repents, and comes back under grace. Not taking advantage of grace. It's not to say, okay, yeah, I'm going to go get my meth mouth and then I'm going to come back to grace. No. That's taking advantage of God's grace. That's what Paul says, don't do that. In in chapter 6, verse 1, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? No way. Certainly not, exclamation point. Don't take advantage of God's grace. So the law is holy. But when you're abiding in Christ and Christ in you, the law is not made for you. In accordance with 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, it's not made for a righteous person. So many times people say, oh, I, you know, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Okay, praise the Lord. When somebody tells me they're under grace, biblically speaking, I have the immediate expectation that this is a hardcore Christian. He doesn't go to strip clubs. He's not beating on his wife, cheating on his wife. He's not drinking whiskey every night. I have the immediate, biblically speaking, That this person is, wow, this person is walking the walk. He talks, he walks, everything is on point. Is this guy a pastor? Maybe he's an elder. Maybe he's a shepherd in the church. Maybe he's in ministry. I don't know. But this guy is on point. And then he said, oh yeah, I'm not under grace. Hey, let's go to the strip club tonight. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What? I thought you told me you were under grace. Oh yeah, but my wife's okay with it. What? Oh yeah, she's okay. She's my second wife. My, my first wife didn't like it. What? That's even worse. This is what's happening inside the church. Carnality. Pastors don't teach. Pastors don't teach about being dead. They don't teach about a marriage to the law. And through your death, now that covenant is over. And you come up out of the water and then you get married to Jesus Christ. Pastors don't teach that. They don't teach about crucifixion with Jesus Christ. They might say, oh yeah, we're crucified with Christ. And you have all these people in the congregation who are in sin. You know, husbands cheating on their wives, wives cheating on their husbands, tax cheats, all kinds of different, you know, alcoholics, druggies. Not to say that, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, he hung out with them. People say that all the time. Oh, why do you say this? Because, you know, Jesus Christ hung out with the the prostitutes, the tax collectors. I know he did. But he also told them go and sin no more. Don't forget that. He also said go and sin no more. What say you? Oh, that that was for two thousand years ago. It's not for this dispensation. I'm, I'm under grace. What? Have you not read? Have you not read? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. Notice, Paul says this to the church in Galatia. It's not the first time he said it. He says, I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. So this was repetitive. He said it once, he said it twice, he said it thrice, who knows how many times. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because you look at these works, the works of the flesh, you know what it reveals? They're not dead. They're not crucified with Christ. You see? So let's go back to Romans 7. So we understand that the law is holy and just and good, but it's not for the righteous person. Righteousness is abiding in Christ and Christ in you. That's righteousness. But I love how the law is like a little safety net, a little safeguard. I shouldn't say a little safeguard, a huge safeguard. So that example of a a, a brother who has fallen, I can't call him a brother anymore. He's under the law. I can call him a friend. I can say, Hey, you know what? Come back. What happened? What's happening? And say, This guy, his heart becomes so hard. You know, he's all this opportunity for grace, all this opportunity to receive God's love, all this opportunity. And just like Pharaoh, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then what do you see with this guy? This guy hardened his heart, this guy hardened his heart, this guy hardened his heart, and then all of a sudden, boom, God hardened his heart. It's a form of judgment. God's wrath, which can fall on individuals just as was revealed in Romans chapter 1. Remember our study in Romans 1? One eighteen. for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You See? suppression of the truth and so God's judgment God's wrath can befall individuals notice you have uh, in verse 26 vile passions you see women exchange the natural use for what is against nature that's the like sexual intercourse the unnatural use of the human body sexually speaking women did it men did it in verse 27 sexual the sexual use it says uh, women burned in their lust for one another men with men committing what is shameful and i get mad at christians i get mad at christians because a lot of christians they really point the finger hard at the homosexuals and the lesbians really point the finger and unrightfully so it should not be done you know why Because there's more in the mix. There's such a thing as heterosexual sin. People say, oh yeah, homosexual sin, is evil. Lesbian sin, it's evil. Bestiality, it's evil. You're right, it is. But so is heterosexual sin. Men can sin with women. Women can sin with men, sexually. It's all evil. In verse 29, there's more. It's not just homosexuals and lesbians. That's why I get mad with Christians. That they're always pointing the finger at lesbians and homosexuals. Verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. You see? And it doesn't end there. He says, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things, just as we read in Galatians 5, practice such things, are deserving of death, but not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. See? That's why I get mad at Christians. Oh, yeah, the, the homosexuals, that you know, they're so evil. God hates homosexuals. God hates lesbians. Let me tell you something. A homosexual who has never heard of Jesus Christ, never heard of the Word of God, never heard of truth, never even looked at the law, never heard of... How does he know? Unless there's a messenger. A lesbian, same situation. How does she know? And you're too busy saying, oh, God hates homosexuals, God hates this, God hates the lesbians. Do you not remember the pit from which the Lord rescued you in your heterosexual sin? That's why I get mad at Christians. I love Christians. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I still get mad at you. You know, God loves the homosexual. God loves the lesbian. But they have to make their choice. The homosexual has to make his choice. The lesbian has to make her choice. Just like Nebuchadnezzar. Who hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. He hardened his heart. And then God hardened his heart. But look what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. In the course of time, something happened. He rejoiced and praised the name of the Lord once again. You see? what seeds are you planting brother sister what seeds are you planting I mean I I know that there's uh, like very militant homosexuals militant lesbians I I, I I completely understand that I'm not blind but Paul was militant too when he was Saul you see God is long suffering not willing that any should perish even while satan drags them to hell the world i'm not trying to say it's a you know a pretty place you know daffodils and lilies all over the place no way it's an ugly place but there's still fish the harvest is plentiful so let's go back to our study in chapter seven, in verse um, thirteen. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not! Exclamation point. You know, you read this and you're like, wow. So what do I do, Paul? What do I do? The, the law? You know, the, it's, it's the, the knowledge of sin. It's like Paul even says, it, it, it's, it's like uh, um, uh, in verse ten, the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. It's like, man, that's a bummer. So, Paul, what is it? You're saying it's holy now? But I thought being in Christ is holy. Paul, what do I do? I don't get it, Paul. He says in verse 13, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not! Exclamation point. But sin, that it might appear sin, translates as sin, that it might show itself as sin or reveal itself as sin, it was producing death in me through what is good the law so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful whoa whoa remember that paul is a new covenant believer and he's calling the law good so in 1st timothy chapter 1 verse 9 the law is not made for a righteous person but the previous verse in 1st timothy chapter 1 verse 8 the law is good good If one uses it lawfully, whoa, this is a new covenant pastor telling another new covenant pastor, Pastor Paul, telling Pastor Timothy that the law is good. It's like, wait a second. So I don't get it, Paul. What are you talking about? So the law brings death, but you're saying it's good. But I thought abiding in Christ is good. They're both. It's the two work together. The law for the Christian. For you and me. The law is good if one uses it lawfully. You're not under the law. You're under grace. If you're abiding in Christ and Christ in you, you're under grace. Praise be to the Lord. But the law is good if you use it lawfully. So brings the question. How do I use the law lawfully? How do we use the law lawfully? Well, it's written here. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful or intensely and abundantly sinful. How sin is amplified through the law. You know, if you're a pastor, if you're a teacher, if you're an elder, and you refuse to teach the Old Testament, you're making a huge mistake. Huge, huge, huge mistake. Because in the law, we learn the fear of God. The fear of God. And I know pastors who say, I just teach the New Testament. And the New Testament, It's even that is shaved down because I don't like teaching Revelation. So I'll teach through the Gospels and I'll stop at Jude. But I don't teach through Revelation. So you have a flock of God that is getting from Matthew to Jude and everything in between. Skipping Revelation and skipping all of the Old Testament. The guy says he's a pastor, but I don't call him a pastor. I call him a hireling. Because you have churches, Christians, lambs and sheep. They love the Lord. Remember my example? The guy who's been in the Lord for five years, but by transgression fell. I specifically said he loved the Lord. No question about it. I don't deny anybody's love of the Lord. But here's my question. Where is the fear of God? Where in the world is the fear of God? And how can the fear of God be learned if it's never taught? You know, you learn hardcore the fear of God when you read through the Old Testament. You learn it. You know, we're under the age of grace right now, but God's judgment is coming. We're kind of spoiled now. Because, I mean, like, Two thousand years there hasn't been like anything major like I mean there's been major stuff you know you look at like the church persecutions, there's been major events, but like you know Sodom and Gomorrah type stuff, you know it, yeah we're we're kind of absent of those things for now, but the Lord will make himself known just like he made himself known in Egypt, the Lord will make himself known again. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Where is the fear of the Lord taught? Where's the thought? There's some major thing. You read the Old Testament. It's like, whoa, Lord, this is scary. I don't want to mess with you. Lord, you did this with David? I don't want to mess with you. What did David do? Whoa, I'm not going to do that. Whoa, Lord, you did this uh, uh, to Egypt? What did Pharaoh do? Whoa, Lord, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to be like that. Lord, you did this with Israel, a people you love, and then you call them harlots. Whoa, Lord, what did they do? You read, Whoa, Lord, I don't want to do that. You see, that's what Paul is referring to here sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful, intensely and abundantly sinful. Remember. We're going to read later on in Romans. We're going to read in later on in Corinthians. We're going to read how these things in the Old Testament, in the law, were written for our admonition, for our warning, so that we can learn the fear of God. God never changes. Never changes. I never change, says the Lord. Read Malachi. He never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Read Hebrews. He never changes. You know what changes? Culture. Appetites among God's people. Appetites of the world. That's what changes. Oh, that was just for that dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that anymore. That was just for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. Fools. That's folly. They use all these big words. Oh, that was just for another dispensation. They use all these big words, you know. One time I was talking with a guy. He was I was like kind of a. I was a young Christian. He was using these big words. I was Like, what does this mean? He would explain. What does this mean? He explained more. So like, okay, that's cool that you defined all these things for me. But you know, I don't know a lot about the Bible. But you're wrong, because I know this about the Bible, and that's not right. Oh, where did you go to school? Where did you go? Where do you have your theology degree? Where did you go to seminary? You see, they use all these big words. They try to act smart. They try to sound smart. And you read the Bible, it's like, wow, this guy's not smart at all. He's dumb, and he's a pastor. He's not even teaching Revelation. He's not even teaching the Old Testament. And so now we see how the law is good for you and for me because we learn the fear of the Lord who never changes. In verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. This is Brother Paul. He's referring to his flesh. He's referring to his nature in the flesh. The law is supernatural. The law is spiritual, translates as supernatural, but I am carnal. He's in the flesh. He's in his earth suit. Sold under sin. Translates as trafficked under sin. He so, said, well, that trafficking, that has that's very bad connotations, precisely right. It has very bad connotations. Trafficked under sin, that was your old nature when you're married to the law. See, sin. But when you die, spiritually speaking, I'm not speaking suicide. Remember the jailer, Philippian jailer, who wanted to commit suicide? And Paul says, no, don't do that. Why? Because there's hope in Christ. There's a life in Christ. Let me tell you about it, flipping Jailer. So you know people in your life. Maybe it's you. If you've contemplated suicide, a lot of pastors, wicked, wicked pastors, I don't call them pastors, I call them wolves. They teach suicide as a fast track to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because where's hope? Where's hope? I tell you that as with a couple failed suicides in my history. Praise be to the Lord. Paul is referring to his own carnal nature, his life in the flesh, sold under sin. He says in verse fifteen, "For what I am doing, I do not understand; for what I will do, that I do not practice; for what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, to, but what I hate, that I do." You start to see Paul is referring to his own. Ups and downs in his relationship with the Lord. Do you have ups and downs in your walk with the Lord? You're in good company. Now it might be a different degree. Paul might have had more ups and downs when he was a younger believer. But you know, you have ups and downs in your life. You're in good company. Look at the Old Testament. Look at the ups and downs of Israel. You're in good company. We're in these earth suits. When I say ups and downs, it's not a steady line. I I like to think of you, you look at the S&P 500, you know, the look at the S&P 500, but not like a month, not even a year. Look at the S&P 500, the the entirety of the S&P 500, right from when it's at its base to when it's at its peak. And that's where I like to think of the ups and downs in the Christian life. You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. You're going to have major ups. You're going to have major downs. But in the grand scale, you're going to see this upward rise. And that's the life of a Christian. You're going to have ups and downs. But through it all, you're still growing. You're still maturing. You know why? Because you're learning from your mistakes. You're not a dog that goes back to vomit. Dogs do that. Don't go back to your vomit. People talk about habitual sin. That's vomit. Oh, I have this habitual sin. It's habitual. I do this. 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 Okay, so... You like the vomit that much? No. Go and sin no more. Look for the door. The Lord always makes a way of escape. You say, Oh, you teach a works-based salvation. I don't like that. You teach works based, we're not saved by works. I fully understand we're not saved by works. But works is a debt, just like Brother Paul taught. We studied that a couple of weeks ago. Works is a debt. I don't teach works-based salvation. But if you're crucified with Christ, that means you're dead. Do dead people work? No. You see, works unto the Lord. Works unto the Lord. Not for salvation. Works are a debt. But where is obedience? Where is obedience? Paul is like, he really opens up to this young church. And how refreshing. I mean, can you imagine like, say you're a young Christian. And you might be a young Christian. And you're like, wow, the Christian walk. I don't know if I can do it. Wow, that means I can't do this anymore. I can't go party. I can't do this. Whoa. And then you hear somebody like Paul saying, you know what? I have ups and downs too, my friend. I used to think that all the time, like, wow, if I'm going to be a hardcore Christian, I can't do this anymore, I can't do that anymore, I can't do that. And you know what the Lord did? Yeah, He took those things away. Some of them I gave to Him. But what He gave me in return was so much better. So much better what He gave me in return. Because I have peace in my heart. Paul says in verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good because what does the law do? It shows us, so in the law is death. What What does that do for me and you today as new covenant believers? When sin might become exceedingly sinful, when the sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful, it teaches us the fear of the Lord. But at the same time, What's written here in verse 16, I agree with the law that it is good. You know why? Because through the law, the Lord reveals our need for Jesus Christ. Wow, you see, the two were together. The love of Jesus and the fear of the Lord. The love of God, the fear of God of God. How beautiful the Lord is. And so... But now, in verse 17, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now, so remember that this is kind of like, you could call it hereditary, you know, under Adam. But that's what's so beautiful about our death. Death. Spiritually speaking, when our marriage becomes over to the law. marriage. So you're married to the law, you believe in Jesus Christ, boom, you're dead. You're dead in Christ. And so you come up out of the water, your old nature, your old man, your old woman is dead, you're alive in Christ, you're spiritually speaking, you're available. And then you focus on your marriage to Jesus Christ. But because we're in these earth suits, remember, it's corruption that puts on incorruption, not the other way around. Well, that's not good. If it's the other way around, that's not good. When incorruption puts on corruption, that's not good. Or when corruption puts on more corruption, that's not good. It's corruption that puts on incorruption. Just like the S&P 500. You look at the long-term history, you're going to have ups. You're going to have major ups. You're going to have major downs. Major, major downs. But on the grand scale of things, you're going to see the upward climb. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Transgression, it's part of our walk with the Lord. And not to make excuse for sin. I'm not saying go ahead and transgress. But you will Transgress. You're walking in the middle of the narrow path. You will take one sidestep to the left. And when you take one sidestep to the left, you need to repent and take one sidestep to the right. Get right back in the middle. You might take two sidesteps to the left. You know what that means? That means you got to take two sidesteps to the right to get right back in the middle. He says this, For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. You see, now it begs the question, so how do we do these things? How do we live the life of a Christian? Well, it's not religious. It's not that we're robots. Remember, the Lord says, I'm going to send you the Helper. Capital H, Pericletus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the helper who helps me, who helps you. Oh, but that was just for 2,000 years ago. The works of the Holy Spirit, you know, that how, how he ministered. how he, That was just for 2,000 years ago. That was for another dispensation. Do you reject the Holy Spirit like that? Somebody tells you, oh, the Holy Spirit, that was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. How he worked, these things that he performed, all this, that was just for 2,000 years ago. Wait a second. So, what is your is your walk with the Lord religious? Is your walk with the Lord? Uh, are you a robot? Because you are going to get tired, and when you get tired, you are going to you are going to poop out. And what happens when that you know when that happens? What's going to happen to your marriage? What's going to happen to your ministry when you are exhausted? Because you have no helper. What do you mean I have no helper? Well, you're telling me that that was for 2,000 years ago. That he doesn't work like that today. How offensive that is to the Holy Spirit. Oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. You know how offended the Holy Spirit is by hearing that? See? We need the Holy Spirit The conviction of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the help of the Holy Spirit. And it's of the Lord. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it's all Him. Because He loves you. He's not just going to give you a bunch of rules and say, here, do this, figure it out. No. We read His Word, you find out you love Him more. You learn to love Him more. You learn to fear Him more. Old Testament and New Testament. And then what else happens? You have the helper. You put the Bible down and you go out in the world. And the Bible's, you know, at your home. But the words are in your heart, in your mind. Your friend calls you on the phone. Hey, let's go do crack. I got the, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. No thanks. No way. I fear the Lord. I'm not doing that. That's the old man. That's the old woman. That guy's dead. That lady's dead. We're not doing that anymore. That was me when I was married to the law. When I was married to the law, which brought me death. But that guy's dead. That lady's dead. I'm married to Jesus Christ now. I'm a virgin waiting for the marriage. I'm betrothed to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stay a virgin. I'm going to be a wise virgin. I'm going to be pure. And I'm going to wait for Jesus Christ to come. And He's coming. I fear God. Oh, you're such a legalist. You're such a dork. You're going too far with this church business. You're going too far with this Jesus Christ business. You know, when you hear such an argument, the word of God can resound even truer in your heart. Because the words of our Lord says, when the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. Let his very words testify in your heart and bring you comfort when people call you a legalist when people make fun of you because of your walk with Jesus Christ because thus fulfills the words of our Lord in your heart in your heart contains the red letters you see he says this in verse 19 for the good that I will to do I do not do but the evil I will not to do that I practice now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You have this battle between the flesh and the spirit. You see, uh, I, I can't stress this enough. Don't forget that it's corruption that puts on incorruption. Okay, we're in these earth suits. They're already corrupt. And you're going to feel the corruption of the flesh as you get older. Because your bodies are going to poop out on you. They're just going to give up. Your legs aren't going to be like they were 20 years ago. Your legs aren't going to be like they were 50 years ago. You're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker as you get older. Your back, you're going to wake up, feel it in your back, your neck, everywhere, your legs, you're going to feel it. Because you're moving closer to death. Physical death. Literal death. You're going to die. You're an old man. You're an old woman. You're going to die. But praise be to the Lord. It's just, you know, oh death, where is your sting? It's the doorway to paradise. Your last breath is something you can look forward to. My last breath. I long for my last breath. I can't wait for that day to come. We'll see what the Lord does. And so he says this. In verse 21, I find then a law. That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. So you have, you know, this concept of Carl Jung. You know, he was kind of like a follower. Carl Jung, the duality of man. He didn't invent the duality of man. It is written in Holy Scripture. He was late to the party. He gets a lot of credit for, you know, a psychologist today. But evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. So in your heart of hearts, yeah, you you will to honor the Lord. You desire to honor the Lord with choices that you make. But there's this duality of man, this concept of, wait a second, evil is still present with me. That's because you're in your earth suit, my friend. And I'm not trying to make excuse for sin. Just like Paul says in, in, in verse uh, uh, 15. shall we Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? No way, he says, certainly not, exclamation point. In verse 1 of chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not! Exclamation point. But don't be a dog that returns to his or her vomit. Habitual sin? No, that's not good. Go and sin no more. And so, okay, so what is it? What do I do, Paul? Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. You see? But I see another law in my members Warring against the law of my mind. This word for warring against, it's in the Greek, it's to, to the, the goal is an attack, but it's to destroy. And that's the law that Paul sees in his members, warring against the law of his mind. So, what is the law of the mind or what happens in the mind? Well, Brother James captures it beautifully in James chapter 1. I'll turn really quick to James 1. In James 1, verse 14, Brother James says this, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. You see? So you see, like people repent. You know, say like there's a murder. A guy has killed like five people whoa that's evil yeah it's evil or a guy has raped a bunch of women or ladies lady's embezzled a bunch of money for her employer or whatever it is you see it on the news whoa that's evil yes it's evil but you know that's the works of the hand. what we're looking at is the aftermath of sin even in the act we're looking at the aftermath of sin you know why the battles in the mind the battle is in the mind. I was listening to a, a, a interview, a prison interview, where you know there was a guy who killed, murdered, and raped women. And in the interview, they had like, "Why did you do it?" And he started to talk about pornography, the objectification of women. How he would, you know, watch these m- m- dirty movies, look at these dirty magazines, and say, "Wow, this, this, the female—they are for the objects of my pleasure. they they are not even people." They're not even human beings. They are objects for my gratification. That's what pornography does. It kills your soul. It's a cancer in your soul. Men. We studied in Leviticus about semen. I don't mean to get graphic, but we did study. Did you not hear? This guy, he was saying, you know, yeah, I, I murdered these, I raped these women, murdered them. And I, they, were, they weren't even people, they, they're not even human beings. They were just objects for me, for my gratification. See how his mind was, became rotten through pornography? And yeah, you could look at the murder, the rape, the murder is bad, you could look at the rape is bad. And they are bad, I'm not saying that they're, they're good, they're indeed bad. But you hit the rewind button in his life. When did the desire start? What caused the desire? Pornography? How how was he introduced to pornography? You keep hitting the rewind button in this guy's life. He was an eight-year-old boy once. Did somebody not tell him about Jesus Christ? He was a little innocent baby once. But remember, he was born just like you and me, married to the law, and in the law is death. You see? Where are the messengers? Where are the fishers of men? Because the harvest is plentiful. Let's go back to uh, Romans 7 now. In Romans 7, this verse 21, this law in my members warring against the law of my mind. He says, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So, you know, it's putting this in perspective. Remember that Romans, the book of Romans, the letter to the church in Rome, the young, young, young church in Rome. It was written around Acts 20, Acts 21. So when Paul is talking about this, you know, that he wills to do good, but he doesn't do good. Don't let your mind go into crazy town. You know, uh, Paul wasn't doing any kind of crazy things. Look at what he was doing. When you look at the the Miletus meeting, when he's speaking to the pastor, to the elders of Ephesus in Miletus. He's exhorting the pastors, warning them even, saying some of you are going to be wolves. But then... Something else is revealed as well. If we go to Acts really quick. Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Acts 20, 23 says, The Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. So that's how the Holy Spirit has been ministering to Paul. You remember our study in Acts? How he would go town to town to town to town, preaching the good news to the Jew first and how they hated him. Some loved him majority hated him left him for dead and the whole time the holy spirit is saying hey chains and tribulations await you paul even in chapter uh, uh, 21 when the christians when the church of beautiful people of the lord they're saying don't go to jerusalem don't go to jerusalem and paul says in verse 13 of chapter 1 of acts he says what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart for i'm ready not only to be bound but also to die at jerusalem for the name of the lord jesus These are things that are happening. Acts 20, 21. These are things that are happening in Paul's life when he wrote the letter to the church in Rome. So if your mind is thinking, wow, what was Paul up to? what What was he doing? He was about the Lord's business. But the war was still raging in his mind. When somebody would mock him. I wonder if in his heart he wanted to just say something to them. You know, how dare you do this? But you, you see the restraint. We re, we studied it in the book of Acts. You see his restraint. Which, you know, you know what restraint is? We read, you know, in our earlier study today in, 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 in uh, when we are married to Jesus Christ in verse four it says that we should bear fruit to God, that we should be fertile and bear fruit to God. But you know what the fruit of the spirit is? In Galatians chapter 5 verse 23, gentleness and self-control. What do we see with Paul when his accusers were right there in his face? When the command was given, hey, punch him in the mouth, and a bunch of guys punched him in the mouth. You see? Gentleness. Have you ever been punched in the mouth before? It's been a while for me, but I dread the day that I'm punched in the mouth because I don't know how I'll take it now. But back in the day, it was like an on switch. I don't care how hard it was. You get punched in the face. You get punched in the mouth. It stings. It hurts. But for me, it's like an on switch. And I hate it. I say that to my shame. It's like an on switch. The adrenaline starts pumping. Your heart starts racing. And it's like, boom, on. Let's go. Let's handle business. And I hate it with a passion. I'm ashamed of it. I pray that the next time I'm punched in the face, it's because I'm teaching Jesus Christ and I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ. And I pray I handle it. I pray that it's handled in me being fertile and bearing fruits to God in exercising gentleness and self-control, just like my beautiful brother Paul. I pray that the next time I'm punched in the face, I can turn the other cheek and worship the Lord. That's this war that rages inside. You see, what happens when you're angry? What happens when, you know, you're tempted in whatever capacity? What does your temptation look like? I'm not asking, you know, what does it look like, but what do you do in your heart of hearts? Do you look for the door and look for the way of escape that the Lord presents? You go to the door, capital D. You see? Wisdom. Wisdom, there's so many attributes, there's so many facets to our walk with the Lord. This war, it rages, okay, that's true. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's part of the battle, that's part of the war. When somebody punches you in the face, it's like, oh man, this is like my on button. And he just hit me in my on button. Now what? Oh, Lord. Lord, let this be a sacrifice to you. And you can rejoice. Just like Brother Stephen. When he was received stones on his face. Philippians 4 verse 8. We are to meditate on things, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. These are the things that we are to meditate on, the mind. And we're in the same boat. I'm not teaching or preaching at you. We're in the same boat. We do it together. I'll help you carry your cross. You help me carry my cross. Just as our Lord had helped carrying His cross. That's the fellowship of the saints. Koinonia. You see? And so, look what happens here. In verse 23, But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. You see? He worships the Lord. I thank God through Jesus Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Deliverer. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, let's not use this as an excuse to sin. Just as is written in chapter 6, verse 1 shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No way. No way. But let's use the law. As good, let's acknowledge and recognize the law as holy, as is written in verse 12 holy and just and good. Why? Because we are a people that can use it lawfully. And how do we lawfully use the law? We're not a people of the law, we are a people of the new covenant. How can we use the law? Well, verse 13 that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful let the lord freak you out <laughs> when you see how he handles things whoa lord you did this with david lord you did this with saul lord you did this with look at israel a lot of men you know for my sisters in christ praise be to the lord you know because you see a lot of men making a lot of boneheaded mistakes and praise be to the lord because a lot of these men who do you have at their side the women, to help them, a bunch of Zipporahs, praise be to the Lord, you see, so that you and me, when we think about our flesh, when we think about the works of our hands, in the carnal sense, the steps of our feet in the carnal sense, we can say, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman. Just like beautiful brother Paul says in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we can praise and rejoice because it's Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. The good shepherd. We're going to end our study here. We'll pick up Lord willing in chapter 8 next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.